We are going to look this morning at Proverbs chapter 1, and uh, we are going to look at verses 10 down through 23. Uh, Now, I am not going to read verses 24 down to the end of the chapter, uh, but I encourage you to sometime. I encourage you to take the time to read down through the end of that chapter and uh, realize that the God that is preached about in America today by the masses is not the God of eternity nor the God of the Bible, nor the God who saves us. But there is a God that we will stand at, stand in front of, and he will judge us. And uh, it's not going to be as nice and comfortable as Sunday school or this morning. Chapter 1 of Proverbs, beginning in verse 10. The word of God says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. Uh, we uh, We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us and uh, let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from them, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, and they lay in wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of the concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity, and ye scorners delight in scorning? Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, scorning and fools hate knowledge." Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Let's pray, Father, in these next few moments. Lord, help us to learn from your word. I pray your spirit would be welcomed here this morning and that he would have free reign and have his will and his way in our hearts and in this service. God, I pray you'd help us to blot out the distractions of this life. Help us to focus our minds and our hearts, our ears, our attention, our listening onto what your spirit has for us this morning. And God, I pray that you would help me to communicate well the message you put on my heart for this time. Help me to be clear, concise, and God, I pray you'd be honored and glorified with the decisions that are made. And Father, I pray if there's one here under the sound of my voice that has been playing games with you, that has been playing religion, that has been coming to the church and and maybe a a member of a family here, but God, they are not born again. God, I pray that your spirit would convict them thoroughly. God, I pray your conviction would weigh heavily upon them and your spirit would do a mighty work and that they would be born again today before it is eternally too late. And Father, I pray you'd help our homes, help our families, help us to realize the garbage we're allowing to influence and affect us. And God, I pray you'd help us to not just know about it, but then to in turn take this knowledge and change how we live. And Father, we'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name, amen. And so uh, in camp and ending in Sunday school this morning, we looked at our learning. Uh, And this morning, we're going to look at our living. Now, the thought is our living. How do we live it out? I mentioned the verse multiple times up on the mountain. uh, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So many Americans are deceived. They come into the churches. They sit down in church. Yep, I know that. Yep, I know that. Yep, I know that. Yep, I know that. Sounds like the child you loved so much and adored when you'd say, clean your room. And he says, yep, I know that. Yep, I know that. Yep, I know that. Never cleaned his room. 
And you just said, oh, Johnny's such a good little boy because he knows he's supposed to clean his room. No, you hopefully spanked him until he got off his behind and cleaned the room. Amen. And many of us are experiencing the spanking from God because we ain't clean in the room. And I know that's not good English. Amen. We are not being doers of the word. We're deceiving our own selves. I'm a pretty good Christian. I'm doing things all right. You understand, Christians don't call themselves Christians. You ever read the Bible? One time, way toward the end, as Peter mentioned, in a generalized reference, as becometh Christians. But other than that, they refer to one another as saints, but it's the world that accuses them of being a Christian. They see a difference in the behavior, a difference in the activity, a difference in the way that they live. In verses 10 through 14, as Solomon, again, as I've mentioned through the camp, has been writing to his son Rehoboam, we see here that as he speaks to Rehoboam, listen, Rehoboam is the prince. His father is, the, is, is, the, is in charge of the general of the army, okay? Rehoboam is a young man of authority and protection and might. And he warns Rehoboam, be careful who you give your consent to. The first things you see here, he says, my son of sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Be careful, you're going to give your consent. We're giving our consent to what we're learning, folks. And that consent, and then is in turn affecting how we live. Hmm? How long will ye scorners delight in scorning? I just got a kick out of it. The guys that want to criticize a preacher, he don't work a real job. Really? You don't even know how to pray. Shut up. You're too weak to spend 10 minutes on your knees praying to God, begging for your children, and you want to fuss about, preachers don't know how to work. I'll show you real work. Why don't you join the spiritual warfare and stop playing games? Stop living the easy life of a coal miner or a rancher or anything and get where the real work's at that'll wear you slap out. There's a reason why preachers die young. Yeah. Because it's called spiritual warfare, and it's a lot more real than a 40, 60, or 80-hour work, uh, work week. See, our consent in verse 10 and down through verse 14, he says, If they entice thee, consent thou not. We're enticed on every hand. The world, the, the flesh, the devil, Hollywood, uh, all around us, politics and everything else. And I've shared this with you before, but Fox News, I detest Fox News. They're one of the things that just bug me the most. I said for years, they came out in 1996, and I said, watch out, they're going to change America. And I didn't mean for the good. I wasn't positive for him back then. Look who owns him. He's not a, Murdoch's not a really a conservative. And I said, listen, if I was, if I was, if I had limited funds and I wanted to change the culture of a nation like America, I would open up a news network that made CNN and MSNBC look conservative. And I'd just start tainting the waters over the years. Get people hooked, get all them liberals addicted, and I'd get them hooked in and just start tainting those waters. And over the years, 
their views had changed. Same thing Fox News has done to conservatives and Christians, by the way. Same thing Hollywood's done in our homes. We're not ignorant of his devices. We know exactly how the devil works. We give them our consent and fall right into it and buy a hook, line, and sinker and then self-justify. I don't need to self-justify. The word of God either justifies or condemns. And if it's right and I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That doesn't change the facts. See, in verses 10 and 11, we see they're pleading. The, The world pleads. He says, if they entice thee, if they say, come, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. They're pleading for our young people. They're pleading for our marriages. The, the, the world and the flesh and the wickedness that is all around us that bombards us is pleading. Just let us in a little bit. Just give us a foothold into your home. Just have a little of our music and a few of our movies. Just give us a little bit of your time. And we choose whether or not we consent. Okay, you can have a little. I know you hate me and want to destroy me, but I'll just let you in a little. Well, we wouldn't say that out loud and think that, but our actions, that's exactly what we do. We let this garbage into our homes and into our minds, and it affects the way we think. It affects the way we make decisions because we've given it our consent. And when we give it our consent, it means that we are, we are yielding to it and saying, yes, I will come into line with this, and I will make relationship with this. And can two walk together lest they be agreed? And what we do is we change from where we used to be. I get, folks, I get fed up here and all over the country Boy, that's, that's how preachers used to preach. Why is it changed? Why is it changed? You know what they do to John the Baptist in the Baptist church in America today? I promise you, I'm a lot nicer than John the Baptist ever was. Amen. You know what they do to Jesus Christ if he walked into the Baptist church in America today? Hmm? Well, those that he came unto and that, love, that were supposed to know him and love him were the ones that killed him. Yeah. Right. And if the world couldn't get along with the holiest man that ever lived, how come it gets along with you and I just fine? Yeah. Right. It's not because we're so right and holy. You see, they're pleading. Well, then we see their power in verse 12. They say, let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. Listen, this world and the system and this world, the power that it has, it doesn't just want to hurt your family. It doesn't want to just affect the way you raise your kids. It doesn't want to just change your perspective. It wants to destroy you. And we sit here and we play with fire day in and day out on our phones and, 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 and out in society and watching the TVs and even when we're talking to our friends in the coffee shop and we're sitting here letting this stuff in when it wants to utterly destroy us. I thought we taught kids not to play with fire and yet we play with fire all the time. Well, I know it's only a little bit against God's word. It's only a little bit against what Jesus said. A little bit against? It's wrong. Americans don't even like calling it sin anymore. We've got our good sin. And our good sin isn't as bad as their bad sin. You know, you've got the drunkards and, oh, you know what's the worst is the hypocrites over there. Oh, those hypocrites and the organized religion. Right, because you don't like organization in your bank or at Walmart. You don't like organization 
at your work? How can we like organization everywhere else, but we don't like organized religion in America, huh? Hmm, kind of sounds stupid to me. And then, and then the whole hypocrite thing. You know what? There's, there's hypocrites at the stores you shop at. There's hypocrites, I bet, in your house. I bet there's hypocrites in your workplace. And you haven't left yet? Well, that makes you a... See, we don't like it being called what it is. Sin is sin. We shouldn't be hypocrites. Hypocrisy's wrong. We should say, oh, you know what? We're all just sinners. Oh, well, well whatever. There, you know, that's just a... No, hip- hypocrisy's wrong. But listen, here's where, here's where the world has enticed us and their power has come onto our lives because we think, we actually think, there are people sitting in this auditorium this morning that actually think somebody else's sin is worse than theirs. There is no more disgusting, vile, and putrid sin that has ever existed than our own. Period. That's it. We don't believe that in Baptist churches anymore. Have you seen those liberals? So what? What about your sin? Hmm? Have you been praying for those liberals? Have you been fasting and praying for those liberals? Hmm? Have you been witnessing to them? Hmm? No, we don't do that stuff. We just complain about it. It's sin, folks. We're full of it. And the world has affected and brought it in. And, what it, and what's supposed to be happening is God's design is, is as we learn and as we receive instruction from him and from his word, because he's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, everything I need in 2021, all the answers are in that perfect book. And as I read in there and God instructs me, it then in turn changes the heart and then outwardly changes the way I live my life. But when we're giving consent unto this world and letting its power in, the destruction is fierce. We see in verses 13 and 14, look at their purse. We shall, we shall find all precious substance and shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us and let us all have one purse. All oh, the value of it though. It's so much more comfortable going the way of the world. I mean, after all, like, we, like I taught up, and up, at the, up on the mountain, well, it's not wrong. Well, it's not wrong. It's not wrong to eat soup with a fork either, is it? Amen? Sorry, sister. I never even thought about it when I said it. And then, you, and then you were like, hey, and I'm like, I'm sorry. It's just what came to the mind, amen? But listen, it ain't wrong to eat soup with a fork, is it? All right. So let's leave the spoon on the table and eat soup with a fork from now on because it's not wrong. See, it's like you've got Christians and you've got these people who say I'm a Christian and they want to justify their way in life through the argument of it's not wrong. Where's the wisdom in that? Let's keep using the fork for the spoon, I mean for the, for the soup and leave the spoon on the table. It just doesn't make any sense. 
And yet God says, listen, I have wisdom, I have instruction, I have knowledge, and I want to deliver it to you. But we look at the purse that the world has, and I'm not just talking about money. We, we sit there and look at the glamour and all the lies and all the garbage that they put out there, whether it's the liberal media politics or, or, or the commercials on TV. Why aren't the commercials on TV truthful? They want to advertise Budward. They should show a decapitated mother laying out on the highway and a dead fa father and an eight-year-old girl standing there bawling around eyes out because her brother's dead too where's where's honesty and advertisement anymore why don't they show the big fat guys that are beating their wives hmm no they show these beach bodied oh yeah look at me yeah we want their purse oh that'll be okay we're gonna cast in our purse we want part of what they've got that all looks good. And we're giving our consent to the garbage and debauchery of this world and letting it into our lives and then wonder why we're struggling. I wonder why I'm struggling. I know why you're struggling. Because we're not yielding our heart and our will to the word of God and obeying it by faith. We're following the religion of humanism and say, I know better. I know better. I know better than God. I know God says this, but I'm doing that. Well, that just doesn't make sense to me, so I don't give my consent to God. I give my consent to me. I don't give my consent to the word or to the preacher or to the church. I give my consent to the world, the flesh, and the devil. I wonder why I'm having problems. I know why we're having problems. Because even supposed Christians will not yield to the word of God. Our living... The world sees this, and as I mentioned in Sunday school, it's why they laugh at Christendom as a, as a whole in America today and why it's such a joke. They got their churches with their coffee shops, cafes, and rock climbing gyms. Come to church, we'll have a fireside chat, and everyone will feel good afterwards. <laughs> have you ever heard of a thing called the Bible or a person called God? God's not going to bring us to heaven and say, let's have a little fireside chat and talk about your life. No, we're going to stand in judgment and every idle thought and every word and every deed is going to be made manifest, made visible, physical in front of the eyes and we'll have no excuse and we will give an account whether we're saved or not. A lot of Christians forget they're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We won't be at the great white throne judgment where the lost are condemned to hell forever, but we'll stand at the beam of seat judgment and we will give an account for every idle thought. And I'm sure God will say, no, you know what? You had a good reason to disobey Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, you know, good job not going to church when the doors were open. Really? Do you even know who God is? We give the world our consent. We see the courage that we need to have in verses 15 down through. Solomon tells his son, Rehoboam, he said, My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. Can two walk together lest they be agreed? How can we have so much worldliness in our lives, so much worldliness in our homes, so much that's against the word of God on our phones, in our pockets and purses, and yet call ourselves Christians? Solomon, said, Solomon told Rehoboam, he said, walk not in their way. Don't even go down there. 
Why? Because it's hard enough to stay right as it is when you're in the right place, let alone stay right when you're in the wrong place. But we want to go down, get in the wrong place, and then wonder why it's hard to stay right. Hmm? I used to run addictions program. I'd counsel my students. They'd say, well, every day I come home from work, I got to get a case and then go home and drink it all night. I drink a case of beer a day. I said, did you ever think about not driving by that store anymore? Stop driving by the store. It's called God's plan of abstinence. Changing direction. Purposeful, intentful thought, decision, choice. That's hard enough to do. And it's hard enough to stay right doing that. Yet we want to go in, walk around, stare at all the different drink, and say, oh, I wonder why I have a hard time drinking. wonder why I have a hard time understanding the preaching when I put in 45 hours worth of Hollywood into my eye gate and ear gate every, every week and only about two hours of the preaching. And read your Bible at home. That stuff's for the church. Really? No, it's for every day of your life. It's for every moment of your life. It's called a relationship. You must know Christ is your Savior. You must be born again. Many don't understand they're not born again. Our courage, in verse 15, we're to refrain. We're to flat out refrain. There's some stuff in our homes we ought to be burning. In 1998, when I gave my life back to the Lord... I got rid of all my drug paraphernalia and all my, bored out all my drink and everything else. Back in 1998, I had about a $3,000 stash of live bootleg Led Zeppelin and, and all the rock from the 60s going all the way back into the 50s, some of them, some of the blues and everything, live bootleg rare collections, about three grand worth of it. Everyone I worked with knew I had it. Everyone I worked with knew I went to the concerts, did all that stuff. When I gave my life back to the Lord, I took all that stuff right over to the town dump, and I threw it in the hopper. And my friend said, at work said, well, you know, you could have sold it and bought Bibles with that money. I said, yeah, and if I had a cocaine addiction, I could have sold the cocaine and bought Bibles with it. If you think it's wrong, why would you let someone else have it? Why would I intend, in, intentionally harm someone else with something I know is harming my life? There's a bunch of stuff in our homes that's harming us. We don't want to admit it, folks. Some of you, your phone has hurt you more than it's ever helped you. But you're too addicted to it. You don't want to give it up. The addiction's worse than cocaine. You can't give it up. You can't set it down. You can't go a day without it. You get withdrawal symptoms. It's just like the same with the person with their bitterness. You got people that struggle with bitterness. They're the same way. They can't go a day without negative thoughts towards somebody and bitterness in their heart towards something, or they get withdrawals from it and they get irritable. Wonder why I'm so irritable? Oh, because you weren't feeding that flesh. You weren't giving that scent. But listen, our, our courage is to refrain from that stuff. 
And God says he will give us the help that we need if we refrain. Listen, look at their running, uh, uh, excuse me, in verses 16 through 18. He says, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird and they wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. Look at them. Look at how they're destroying their lives. Look at how many of these people out in the world today, and, and, and it's like the more popular they get, the, 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 the more tragic it is. And they're committing suicide, and they're destroying their lives, and, they're, and, 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 and it's just all chaos and confusion, and yet that's the way they run to. They don't just casually go that way. They don't go, hmm. No, they run to it. They're like, oh, I got to have it. You got guys that do that with their finances. Well, I gotta have, I've got to have neon lights on the underside of my 4 by 4 Otherwise, it doesn't work properly. I've got to go in debt to get 28-inch rims on my truck so that I can stress my wife out with our lack of funds because otherwise the truck won't operate properly. We've let the garbage of the world in and it's controlling our decision-making. You know, guys like, oh, my wife's man, i got to buy her flowers and chocolates. Does your wife even like flowers and chocolates? I don't know. That's just what they say to do. Your wife has been annoyed for a decade because every anniversary and every birthday you buy her flowers and chocolates and you're clueless of what she wants. But we've let them dictate how we make the decisions and then how we live it out. People used to laugh at me. For anniversaries and birthdays, my wife has received vacuum cleaners, irons and ironing boards, dishwashers. You think, oh, he's one of those sexist Baptists that just think the woman should be chained in the home. She wanted that and asked specifically because I asked her, sweetie, if I could get you anything, what would it be? Please get me a vacuum, Steve. We need a... Yes, ma'am. I'll get her what she wants. Hello? It's not that hard. I don't buy her chocolates and flowers. Hey, man. We don't even think about it because we've let the world dictate. And then when a guy says, yeah, I got my wife a vacuum. He's, oh, see, he's wrong for doing that. Yes, I'm wrong for listening to my wife. Because you're a feminist that thinks that women should be more important. Wait, I'm really getting confused here. I gotta follow this. <laughs> and you're saying we've not let them influence us, folks? Every day, and the more we look at the phone, the more the influence is there. And what they're doing is they're running to destruction. They're trying to lead you as fast as they can to destruction. Please keep following us. Come on, run. Don't just walk. Run with us. We're going to run as swiftly as we can to destruction. Why? Because destruction's so wonderful. Why do you think? Listen, y'all think I'm joking about or being sarcastic. Why do you think there are skulls on all of the stuff the kids wear today? Death is wonderful. Death is so cool. Skulls and bones and skeletons on little ones, on five-year-olds. Flaming skulls. That's so cool. Where'd you get that influence from? Where'd you get that from? From the Word of God? Hmm? You got that from out there. 
and you thought, oh no, this is just innocent. It's just a skull painted like a, painted like a clown laughing with green flames coming out of it. That'll be really neat to wear for the kids when I go home because I'll be a good dad and show them how much I love them. This is what we've allowed to come into our homes, folks, and it's just casual. We don't even give two thoughts about it. We just think it's funny and cool and interesting and, well, you know, it's not after all. It's just not all that big of a deal. You sound like the addict. You sound like the addict, the functioning addict who only needs three beers before work in the morning. It's not that big of a deal. Well, you got to be that way about it. It's my life. I'm not hurting anybody else. No man liveth to himself, and for none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Your sin absolutely has a direct impact on your children and your marriage and your family and your church and your community and your state and your country. And if you don't think it does, you're a fool. It absolutely has an impact. You're teaching them. And then you got so many of the conservatives sit back, living this way, and they're going, I wonder why Antifa's so big. Where'd all this come from? Oh, it's the liberals' fault. No, it's the Christians' fault. It's the conservatives' fault. It is our fault that Antifa exists. If we had been obeying God and living the crucified life and winning them to Christ, they wouldn't even exist. But because the way we live out our Christianity is so compromised and melancholy and weak and pathetic compared to the rest of the Christianity in the world, they sit back and laugh at us. Why on earth do I want anything they have? After all, they get one little preacher from come, come born and raised in the state of Maine and they're preaching heavy and they can't even handle it. They're going, oh, you, you were so mean in church. And yet... And yet guys, they, corporations pay coaches millions of dollars a year to be meaner than me. <laughs> Maybe I should be a coach. I could, <laughs> I could make some money. Wait a minute. And yet, folks, listen. We're just letting it in and we're running with them. We don't even see the direction they're running in. Their reality, look at the reality, verse 19. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy again which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. The reality is, the devil wants destruction in your life. Do anything but follow the word of God. Do anything but submit completely to his word. Live Christianity on your terms. Do how it feels good to you. Let's see if I can make this work. Do I got to point this in a direction? Point it to the back. Here we go. All right, let's see if it'll work. Maybe I'll go too fast. I want you to see this. These are statistics. This is about, we're talking about living the Christian life and being real about it. Cohabitation. The numbers of cohabitation couples has increased 800% since the 1960s. Cohabitation, point number two, before marriage is related to more frequent arguments during marriage as well as a greater, com, uh, uh, as well as a greater perceived risk of separation and divorce when couples, uh, uh, compared to couples who did not live together prior to marriage, a study done by Hill and Evans in 2006. But the world says if you shack up, you'll know each other better and your marriage will be better and you'll really know who to marry. And yet God's word says... Flee from fornication. 
and we don't want to obey the word of God. We want to let the influences of the world and then change the way we live our lives. And then turn around and join with them even further and say, oh, well, you know, they say the rate of divorce in the world is the same as it is in the church. How many have heard that one? Okay, we'll talk about that one. I'm glad you brought it up. Professor Bradley Wright, sociologist at the University of Connecticut, explains from his analysis of people who identify as Christians but rarely attend church that 60% of these uh, have been divorced. Of those who attended church regularly, 38% have been divorced. See a difference? That's just in where you're willing to go to church. How often you're willing to go to church. Rarely or regularly. Okay, not enough? Good. Christians who are active in their faith, which means attend church regularly, engage life as a disciple, and pray together, have much lower divorce rate as opposed to those who claim to be Christians but are hypocrites. I won't finish reading it. And so it gives the details here. A number of studies show that it is common for active disciples of Christ to have a divorce rate of 35 to 50% lower than the general population. If the divorce rate is 31%, then this translates into a current rate of 15 to 20%. Not done yet. Christian couples active in their faith also have higher happiness rates and experience more closeness than those who do not. About twice the rate. You want to be twice as happy as you are now? Get real with your Christianity. But what about the Berean research that says that the divorce rate at the, uh, at, uh, at the, at the same rate uh, 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 of Christians divorce at the same rate non-Christians? It turns out that the 2001 study research did not distinguish between faith-based belief and faith-based practices. You understand, folks? Hey, I know there's words up there. Check this out. You understand there's a difference between faith and practice, right? I believe it here, but I don't live it here. There's a difference. Faith is what you live. So yeah, it didn't distinguish the difference. So what happened? George Barney himself re, uh, regretted the media misrepresentation their, uh, of, uh, uh, of their data. Uh, at Sh- Shunti's request, the Barnea group looked again at the data and included recent church attendance, faith-based practice in, that, in their statistical compilations and found a 10% drop in the current divorce rate, 27% for those who attended church in the, in the last week and 37% for everyone else. So that's just a quick, oops, let's put a Band-Aid on the study. But let's do a thorough study and see what it really is. One of the outcomes of a study led by the National Association of Marriage Enhancement in Phoenix, Arizona, you can find it online right there, was to report that when couples pray together on a daily basis, then uh, less than 1% of those couples would end up getting a divorce. The number was 1 in 1,156. Almost like God's word's true. Huh. Huh. Interesting how lost people in universities can do simple studies and go, oh, look, the Bible's right again. Hmm. Oh, wait, it gets even better. Born-again Christian couples who marry in the church after having received premarital counseling and attend church regularly and pray daily together experience only one divorce out of nearly 39,000. So... Oh, well, I hear the divorce rate's the same in the church as it is out in the world. Yeah, only when you count the hypocrites. Those that come warm the pew, 
and go, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I go to that church down there. What's the name of it again, honey? You know how many doors I've knocked on like that in America? Thousands. The, the husband's got to ask, the, yeah, yeah, we go to church. What's the name of it, wifey? Because you're the boss and the spiritual things in our home. Or and mama's got to say, kids, what's the name of the church we go to? Oh, yeah, you're really invested there. I see. That's great. Can I tell you something, folks? We need to get back to living the Word of God. Living the Word of God. I shared with it up in camp for those that weren't there. This is for your benefit. There was a pastor in Tennessee, pastored thousands of people. And if you were a member of his church, he would not even sit down and counsel with you if you didn't answer yes to these five questions. If you answered no to any of these, I don't need to counsel you. God's spanking you. God's chastening you. I don't need to sit down and counsel with you. Number one, have you been born again? Number two, have you been scripturally baptized? Number three, are you faithfully attending every church service? Number four, are you in your Bible every day? Number five, are you actively sharing your faith with others? If you answer no to any of them, God's chastening you. He, wouldn't, he pastored thousands of people back in the 60s and 70s, and he wouldn't even sit on a council with you if you answered no to any of those. His name was Dr. Lee Robertson. Some of you may have heard of him. I counsel pastors the same thing. I'm like, you ought to just say that. I would save you a whole bunch of time. <laughs> Amen. He's like, well, I don't have anybody counsel anymore. <laughs> Woo, no more diapers to change. Hallelujah. <laughs> Finally, this morning, we see God's call that Solomon reminds his son Rehoboam of. God's call is a call of wisdom. You read through the book of Proverbs, wisdom is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is wisdom personified. I don't know how you want to put it, how you want to define it. You read through wisdom, and wisdom is Jesus Christ. Even when it refers to wisdom in the female tense of, uh, and again, there you go for you uh, feminists out there. You ought to just get in the word of God and see how much God loves and respects women. Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath mingled her one. And you read through that proverb, and what's he talking about? She, he's talking about Jesus Christ in the church. That whole proverb is about Jesus Christ in the church. Wisdom is found here. Wisdom is found in the fear of God. Wisdom is found when I yield my will and I obey and I follow after God and I don't bow my neck up to him and become a stiff-necked people and say, no, I think I know better. But it's when we yield our will to God and let him lead. That's when, the, that's when the fear of the Lord is found. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it says wisdom. I want you to see this, see God's call. Wisdom uh, crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of the concourse and the openings of the gates in the city. She uttereth her words. What, what is this about? Listen, the reach of his voice, the reach of the voice of wisdom. You can find the wisdom of God anywhere, anywhere in this world. I find a wisdom of God everywhere I go, whether I'm driving up to Custer or driving down here, whether I'm going to the gas station or sitting at a stoplight. I can find the wisdom of God everywhere, and I've used it endlessly to train my children. You say, well, what are you talking about? Let me give you an example. I ran a bus route up in Maine. 
I was a bus director and bus captain. <clears throat> and I'd always bring young people with me to knock on those doors. And you'd go into some of these places, and there's some folks living there that don't know the Lord. And there's some kids in there. Maybe they're saved, maybe they're not. They want to come to church. So we go knock on that door, and you walk up, and there's beer cans all over the front lawn. One of them big five-pound can of coffee stand, coffee can cigarette butts overflowing on the front steps. And as you step one foot in the driveway, you start hearing, rah, 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 rah. and as you get closer and closer, you just hear dad cussing and screaming at the top of his lungs because he's a tough guy with a temper, yelling at his wife and kids. Pathetic. What do I do? I look at my kids and I say, that could have been your home, but by God's grace. There's no reason why you don't deserve to grow up in that home. You ought to pray for those kids in there. You ought to pray for that mom and dad in there. That man don't know any better. He's in the clutches of the devil. Look at what following after the world gets you. Look at what rejecting God. You talk to him, hey, listen, would you come to church? I don't want to go to that church. Get off my property. See what happens when you reject. And it's teaching. That's the wisdom of God right there laid out. There's nothing you can do against the truth, only for the truth. You can't deny it. You can't reject it. Why do you think sodomites want to kill themselves? Hmm? It's not because that's who they are. It's because they're believing a lie and the devil has twisted their mind and he's playing games with them so hard and they are so confused and so heartbreak and so ate up and the devil's laughing all the way to hell with their torture. And meanwhile, most Christians sit back and criticize rather than weep and pray for them. Hello? That could be us, but by the grace of God. Are we still in that generation I was in when I was a child and I didn't understand the people in church? They'd say, but by the grace of God, there go I. I'm like, I don't know what that means. I didn't. I'm slow, amen. I don't think I was like 25 until I understood what that meant. Then I realized, you know what? If it wasn't for God's grace, that could have been my life right there. That, that, that guy beating his wife right there in the window, that could have been my dad. It's the wisdom of God, folks. The reach of God's call, it's out there everywhere. Do you see it? Does it bother you? No, what happens, we see the liberals, we see the news articles, and does it break your heart or make you, or, or, or make you mad? Hmm? I've shared this story with this church before. It's been some years. Decades ago, there were two preachers. There was a church down south, and two preachers came in to preach on a Sunday. One was Sunday morning, uh, no, I'm sorry, Saturday in a Sunday meeting. And uh, in, that, in that city, there's a baseball, uh, baseball stadium and there was a doubleheader, uh, I think one Saturday, one Sunday, something like that. But anyways, when the pastor went to the airport to pick up the first preacher, they came by that, the, the baseball stadium and the baseball stadium was full of people. And the preacher that he picked up from the airport was like, look at all them people. They don't love God. They're not going to church. It's awful. It's man, America's a mess. And he thought, you know, you're right, man, America's a mess. They got done the preaching, took him back to the airport, dropped him off, picked up the other preacher, came by the same ballpark, full of people once again. And the second preacher, he looked over and the guy was crying. And he said, look at all those people. They don't know the Lord. They're not going to church today. They don't know the Lord. They don't know his love. They don't know his mercy. They don't know how great he is. Which one are you? When you hear Nancy Pelosi, which one are you? Huh? Chuck Schumer, hmm? Biden, hmm? you weep for him or you get upset about him? 
I wonder why they look at us as hypocrites. I wonder why they look at us as weak. It's the weak thing to get upset. What are we teaching our children? You see, we're living an example. And we're showing our children and our grandchildren just how to live out this Christian life. On our terms, our way, the way we think, just don't submit to God. The reach of his voice is everywhere. Verse 22, we have the rejection of wrong. He says, how long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity and ye scorners delight in scorning and fools hate knowledge? You see, there's a progression in the book of Proverbs. We all start out simple. And from simple, if you read through the book of Proverbs, there's two avenues that we can take and it is the choice of the heart. And the one avenue is from the simple, we turn to the scorner where we criticize the preacher and find fault with the preacher and we don't like the way he said it and his accent. And oh, what's so important is where he's from. He's from out east. Oh, that's real important. And Jesus is from heaven. Huh. So we go from the simple to the scorner to the fool. Or in the book of Proverbs, you see the path that they start from simple and they go to the prudent. And then they go to the wise. Anybody remember back in the 50s, it was real popular, got bigger in the 60s. We don't use it much anymore, but we still do the same thing with different words. Oh, Susie, don't be such a prude. Any older folks remember that? Oh, Susie, don't get on the biblical just to the wise. Don't, don't get on the biblical path to the wise. Stay on the path of the scorner to be a fool. Don't be prudent. Don't be a prude. Huh? Don't be so square. Hmm? And that one's really dating me, isn't it? Amen? Don't worry. They didn't say that in my youth. I just saw it on TV before. <laughs> oh, listen, the vocabulary changes. The principles are the same. Oh, just don't be on the path of the prudent to become wise. Stay on the path of the scorner with us so you can be a fool in the end. And meanwhile, wisdom's calling out and crying, Come my way. Look at the lessons God has for us all around. Look at why Hollywood's destroying themselves and, 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 and they can only live if they're strung out on drugs and pumping themselves full of medication or changing the way they look because they're so insecure and feeble and don't know anything about what direction to go in life, what to do in life, or any of the answers of life for that matter. The rejection of wrong in verse 2. Listen, if you're simple, don't stay simple. How long ye simple will ye love simplicity? America is trapped in that today. Some of you older folks in this auditorium, it drives you nuts. You talk to young people and they're like, it's like they want to stay simple. And then they like to get sarcastic about it and say, well, adulting is so hard. How long ye simple will ye love simplicity? How long are you going to stay a baby? When on earth are you going to mature? Huh? Well, see, if I stay simple, then they won't really know which path I'm taking. That's why I love my simplicity. They won't know if I'm going to the scorner or going to the prudent. And I can kind of halfway between. And sometimes at church, I can be the prudent. But then with my friends outside church, I can be part of the scorner over here. And by the way, grandpas do the same thing. I'm simple concerning all that religious stuff. That's why my wife's the spiritual leader in our home. 
Yeah. You just don't want people to know which path you're on. Hmm? Verse 23, there needs to be a repentance. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. People sit in church week after week and they're like, I don't understand. You know, well, do you understand what he's saying today? Well, yeah, yeah, I got my ideas of what he said today. God said he personally will help you understand it. When you sit down and read your Bible, he personally will help you understand it. Well, I tried reading the Bible, I don't really get it. It's about the heart. It's not about, it's about the heart. There needs to be some repentance. What's God worth to you? Can I tell you this morning, our living, how we're living our lives is teaching an example to everyone around us and everyone in our community, inside our family, inside the church, how we're living it out, how much boldness we have to witness for Christ, how much faithfulness, stewardship, stick-to-itiveness. I get a kick out of it. You got men that are some of the toughest men on the planet. They'll, they'll, they'll rush into war. They'll rush into battle, risk their lives. They'll live out on a ranch, and they'll risk their lives in blizzards and in weather, and, and they'll, they'll do work that, that most would be afraid of. And then you mention spiritual things, and they turn to coward. You got kids in this city? Oh, they're, they're tough. Look at them. Ooh, I'm tough. Until you mention spiritual things. And then they're cowards. Ladies and gentlemen, that's because this is real. And what I'm telling you this morning is the truth. But I can't make you do it. And God won't. You must choose. It's your choice. What kind of life do you really want the people around you to see? Well, yeah, I mean, I got to, you know, he's passed away now. John's gone. But, you know, I think I can think of some good things that he did. Uh, you know, uh, well, he bought us beer. And, uh, you know, I mean, he was always there when, uh, 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 well, when he could be. I've been to some funerals of some of the saddest testimonies of an existence that you can imagine. And then I've seen funerals of people that nobody knew, supposedly. Claire Heisler. Who's Claire Heisler? Just a middle-aged lady in Lifeline Baptist Church up in the state of Massachusetts. Except when she passed away of cancer, the funeral director said, I've had ambassadors' funerals. I've had dignitaries' funerals. I've had governors' funerals. I've never seen more people here than this. She's just this lady in the church that believed you ought to be sold out for God and witnessed everybody you could and love on people like there's no tomorrow and that you can actually show them who Jesus really is. Tonight we're going to be dealing with our leaving. We looked at our learning and this morning our living. Tonight we're going to talk about what you're leaving behind. There's going to be an heritage. What are you leaving? What are the grandkids going to say about you? Father, help us. God, how we've let the world influence us. God, I pray you'd help us to stop playing church, to stop playing Christianity.
God, help us to see the cowardice in our hearts to not stand up and live for you. Father, I pray you'd work in hearts and in lives. Help us this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd do a work that only you can do. Help our families. Help these marriages. Help these parents and these young people. God, help us to have the strength to submit to your truth. Well, thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you stand together, please, heads bowed and eyes closed. Many are at the altar now praying. If the Lord's spoken to your heart, I invite you. Let's talk to the Lord. What is your living?